Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me five things from their life that they would like to put into a time capsule. They can choose anything at all, but they must choose four things that they cherish and one thing they'd like to forget, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode, I'm delighted to say, is the actor Nicola Stevenson, who, despite an amazing career, is still probably best known for kissing Anna Friel on Channel 4's Brookside, a television moment so iconic that it was included in the London 2012 Olympics opening ceremony, directed by Danny Boyle. In fact, the opening ceremony was broadcast uncensored in 76 countries where homosexuality is illegal and therefore became the first homosexual kiss to be broadcast in these countries. So well done us. Still, as well as playing Margaret Clements in Brookside, Nicola was Julie Fitzjohn in Holby City, Sarah Williams in The Chase, the TV series, not the quiz, Ali Westbrook in Waterloo Road, and Tess Harris in Emmerdale. So she's had some very nice names. She's also played main roles in Coronation Street, Nice Day at the Office, Out of the Blue, The Bill, as the recurring character Julie Hicks, another nice name, The Wonderful Clocking Off, Christmas Lights, Dead Man Weds, Waking the Dead, Northern Lights, Superstorm, City Lights, Moving On, Homefront, All at Sea, Safe House, The Worst Witch, Silent Witness, Midsummer Murders, of course, Whitstable Pearl and The Dumping Ground. Her theatre work includes A Patriot for Me at the Royal Shakespeare Company, His Girl Friday and Edmund at the National Theatre and Warhorse in the West End. Basically, Nicola is one of the most respected actors in the country and, as you'll find out now, a lovely person. So sit back and enjoy the five things that Nicola Stevenson would like to put 
in her time capsule. Oh, actually, before we start, can I just warn you, if you have any small children around, this episode does involve some conversations about Father Christmas, the real Father Christmas. So be careful. Have fun. Nicola, how lovely to see you, and how lovely to find out the five things you're going to put in your time capsule. Oh, thank you for having me. What a lovely podcast you've got. Oh, thank you. It's really nice. I like it. You and all your chums. (laughs) And I'm getting more all the time. Mm. It's people I didn't know. I spoke to lovely Mark Bonner yesterday. Oh, he's my mate. Is he? Yeah. Yes, he's lovely. Well, I want him to be my mate now. (laughs) He will be. He's very friendly. (laughs) Oh, that's lovely. And where was he? He's in Malta. Oh, is he? Doing a job in Malta. So how did he do it in Malta, like in a hotel room? Yeah, he's he tested positive for COVID, so he'd been stuck <gasps> in the hotel room. Oh, my God. So he'd not been out, so he was a bit stir-crazy. I bet you couldn't shut him up, could you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Perfect. 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 It's <laughs> oh, so, OK, so we're going to find out what you'd like to put into a time capsule. So it's four things you love mm. and you've cherished from your life mm. and one thing that you'd like to put in there and forget about it. It's been very difficult. Mm-hmm. Thought of nothing else all week. It's very ha- well. I wanted to stick to the brief. You see, I don't really hold much truck with all these people that you've had that have put feelings in and <laughs> moments in and <laughs> countries in and things like. No, there's a brief, mm-hmm. and it's a thing to put in a time capsule. And that did my head in because I don't like straying from the brief. Okay. I'm an actress. I like to be told what to say, where to stand. <laughs> I'd like to direct <laughs> you then. I do. I like to be told what to do. So I've stuck to the brief, kind of, but then it got to actually the last one mm. I'm struggling with. But you might have to help me out when we get to that. Okay. So mine are actual things that you can put in the time capsule. My husband was laughing at me, was saying, flipping it, Nick, do, do you want him to come round and actually dig a hole in the garden? <laughs> And I said, yes, I do, actually. (laughs) Were you measuring them to make sure they could fit? Uh, Yeah, 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 they can all fit in there. Great. It's a fairly big box, but they can can all fit in there. Oh, good. Well, you've made my life very easy, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the first thing? Okay, the first one is a record. It's an an album called The Best of Gladys Knight and the Pips. Ah, how lovely. From 1976, do you know it? I do, yes. Do you love Gladys Knight? I love Gladys Knight. And all of her little pips. And all the pips. <laughs> I absolutely... Lo- oh, I actually went to see her a couple of years ago at the Royal Albert Hall. She looked fabulous. Mm. She had a white flared trouser suit on. She looked incredible. And she was amazing. Her voice was amazing. Her songs sounded just like they did 40-odd years ago. And she, I think it was when she was singing Midnight Train to Georgia. Uh. And she said, you got to help me out here, guys. You know, I ain't got no pips no more. They're all dead. (laughs) (laughs) She's planted them all. (laughs) They'll grow into a a tree. (laughs) tree. (laughs) Gladys Knight and the pips tree. (laughs) Gladys Knight and the forest. Lovely. (laughs) Um, But she was amazing. And she can, what I realised watching her was that she can tell a love story. I'm I'm obsessed with love stories. Rom-coms are sort of my thing. I've seen them all. And she made me cry, you know, age 70-odd. She sang, I think it was uh, 
make yours a happy home or something, one of those. And and I was in tears because, well, mostly because of what this record evokes for me, mm. um, which is my mum. And um, but also because she can tell a love story in a song so brilliantly. She's an actress. She's she's just awesome. And weirdly, I went to see two nights later, it was the same summer, um, Beyonce was playing at Wembley and I got tickets in the Golden Circle oh. for Beyonce. I love Beyonce. I love her. She's awesome. Yeah. And I bought myself these tickets because I was like, I'm going to that. And um, it didn't move me at all because I'd watched Gladys Knight two nights before and I was thinking, this is a brilliant show. She's a brilliantly talented woman. She's amazing. She's awesome. Mm. But I'm not moved like I was to Gladys Knight. Right. I'm not sitting here crying because of the stories you're telling me, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think that's too many enormous arenas that she's played? Yeah. Maybe. I think it's just, yeah, it's the production of it maybe and because she can. Oh, yeah. If I was sitting in the Albert Hall watching Beyonce sing If I Was a Boy, I'm sure she could move me to tears. <laughs> but, yeah, but Gladys Knight, so this particular record was released in 1976. So I'd be five, probably my earliest musical memory from being a child. My mum had this album and the the music that your parents introduce you to, I think forms your musical tastes Mm. for life, doesn't it? Mm. And and I got Soul and Motown from my mum and the Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel from my dad. And my mum didn't marry my dad till I was seven or eight. So this was earlier than that. And me and my mum were, she was a single mum. We were on our own in this little terraced house in Oldham in Lancashire. And I have a really vivid memory of my mum getting ready to go out. She was a really young mum. She had me when she was like 18. And um, she's got a hair in Carmen Rollers. She was so gorgeous. Two pairs of false eyelashes, not one. One was not enough. Well, two pairs, one on top of the other. And a pair of denim knee-high platform boots. She was so gorgeous and glamorous. And we'd sit and she'd get ready to go out and I'd watch her putting on her false eyelashes and doing her Carmen Rollers to Gladys Knight in the pips. And I just love that this this record still brings back that really strong, visceral kind of memory. I think music... Music really does that. And it's and it's popped up again throughout <laughs> throughout my life because then me and my mum always sang this album together. And um then later on when we would go out and get drunk together, it was our karaoke song. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> We'd really come into our own at the end when it goes, I've got to go, I've got to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really go for it. Oh. And um Consequently, when I got married in 2012, my hens took me on a surprise hen night to a recording studio in South London. And we recorded Midnight Train to Georgia with me singing Gladys Nights and all my hens being my pips. Oh, my God, that's brilliant. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a recording somewhere of me singing Midnight Train to Georgia. Oh, do find it. I'd love to hear it. Oh, my God, it's awful. I'm not a singer. (laughs) But we had fun. I love karaoke. (laughs) What I really like is when people really go for it and aren't great singers. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to say, in 1976, I was 18. So I think it's all right for me to say, and I hope you don't take offence at this, but I really quite fancy your mum. Yeah, Oh yeah, you'd like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's an interesting character. I mean, 
I'm sure she's the reason why I'm an actress and why I've made a, a fair success at it as well. Because, you know, people always ask me, have you got other actors in your family? Mm. You know, did you follow it? And there aren't any. There's none. I'm the first. But actually, my mum is an actress. She is a performer. She's um, a storyteller. And because we were on our own for that kind of formative time in my, in my childhood, mm. it was just me and her. And I, I'm sure I learned to, to tell stories by listening to my mum. You know, she, she sort of lives, she lives her life like it's a soap opera, you know. <laughs> I think a lot of Northern women do. You know, they get on the phone and they're like, well, you'll never guess what's happened. <laughs> and she tells a story in such an engaging way. Mm. And she's the most naturally funny person I know. She's hilarious. And she can do it, you know, she'll do a punchline. I love that northern thing. Oh, yeah. Who always managed to finish a story with a punchline. <laughs> yes. Whatever it is, if it's just going to the shops, they're oh, yeah. telling you, oh, I went to the shops this morning. And then a story will come out that will make you laugh at the end of it. Yeah. And she always she has names for people. So, <laughs> you know, she's been, a lot of her life, she's been single, my mum. And if she has a boyfriend, he always has a name. Mm. So they'll be like, oh, yeah. So anyway, I went out with Roger over the back last night. So, <laughs> And then, um, oh, Jeff on the end, he's asked me out and they've always got a nickname, Roger over the back, he was a disaster. Um, It does sound disgusting, I have to say. (laughs) Roger over the back. And and also her and my nana, all the women in our family, I think the reason why I ended up doing what I do is because she was so encouraging when I was younger and I wanted to go to dancing lessons or act. I mean, I was always doing something Mm. and and she was um, a real true feminist in the in the 70s. You know, she sort of pulled herself up from her bootstraps from having nothing and made a real success of herself. And she never told me to sit down and stop showing off. I never got told to sit down and stop showing off as mm. a kid. It was like, isn't she brilliant, our Nicola? Nicola, get up, do that song, do that dance for everyone. <laughs> do it, do it for us now. And I'd be like, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's really important to never say, I never tell my children to sit down and stop showing off either. No. Because they've got to grow up with confidence, haven't they? No, I get really annoyed if adults, when children start to talk, say, sorry, we're we're talking. Adults are talking now. Oh, yeah, no, that's wrong. It should be the other way around. I think children should always take precedent. It's like a, a cyclist coming out of a junction. They should have the right of way. I think. Definitely, definitely. And you should all sit round the table. Don't feed the kids first and then all the adults have dinner. All sit round the table yeah. together and all, all chat because that's how they learn, isn't it? Yeah, they learn those skills. And, and actually, yeah. I've got lots of adults in my life who I knew as children who I remember having those conversations with them round dinner tables. Mm-hmm. And I treasure them. I really do. I, I treasure watching them learn adult skills. Mm. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Well, your mum, not only is that a sort of a very encouraging thing to say, you know, don't say, sit down and be quiet now. Mm. But also, if you want to go to dance lessons, I want to do Mm. this, I want to do that. As a single mum, it would be so easy for her to say, I haven't got the time, I've got to do the washing. Oh, she didn't have the money, you know, she really didn't. She was skint. And I remember when I was was about six, (laughs) we went to see, we came to London for a little holiday and um, we went to see Annie was on in the West End. And she took me to see it and I'd never seen a West End show before. I'd done little shows at the local church hall. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we used to go to church and I'd go to dancing on a Saturday morning in the in the church hall. And that's when I first went on stage and started singing and dancing. <laughs> and, um, and we went to see Annie when I was six and I went, Mum, I can do that. And she went, she went, 
really? Do you want to do that? I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to, I want to be in it. Can I be in it? <laughs> <laughs> six, when you, one of my six-year-olds said that, I'd be like, well, um, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> but she went, all right, all right. I think she wrote to the, found out who the casting director was and wrote to them and, and they, were, they were holding open auditions. So she brought me down to London and I went and auditioned oh, to be wow. the, the littlest orphan, yeah. Molly, the littlest orphan. And I did this audition. I mean, I wasn't loud enough. I wasn't good enough. You know, I was just a little top. Mm. I didn't get in it. And um, when we came out, she said I stood on the pavement and I burst into tears. Mm. And she just felt awful. She felt really awful. And she was like, what have I done? What have I done? I've turned her into one of these stage school kids. Because, <laughs> you know, we got there and there were all these stage school kids, all kind of, and the, and the pushy mums going, oh, what's your little girl doing? You know, mm. like they said, my, my mum felt really out of place. Yeah. And then we came outside and she thought, what, what have I done bringing her here? This is just, this isn't right. And she's crying and this is awful. And she said, listen, Nicola, you need to stop crying. She said, because if you cry like this, I just feel awful and I'm not ever going to bring you to another audition ever again. And I stopped like that, (laughs) (laughs) like that. And I got on the train and sure enough, I was up and down the train saying to him, should I do my song for you? <laughs> You're yeah. really not annoying little brat. No, but those kids, how many of those have gone on to be really successful actresses? I think that if you teach them those sort of, um, that very large performance, yeah. that in a way at that time was sort of required of children, but it's now everybody realises, no, that's not the thing to do. If you let yeah. children act, they generally will act incredibly naturalistically. Yeah, I guess that's what happened, because I wanted to be a musical theatre performer. Mm. And I don't really think I was a good enough singer and dancer, although I love it. <laughs> and maybe now that I'm older, I could start doing that, because you don't have to be quite so brilliant, do you, when you play the older parts of musical theatre? No, no. So maybe I could go and, and do it, I don't know. Um, but that's what I wanted to do. And then I did, I started watching sort of Mike Lee films and all that kind of thing when I, as I got a bit older and fell in love with them and fell in love with that naturalistic mm. acting. And then there was loads of opportunity to do that where in Manchester at the time there was um, Granada, what was Granada Studios and isn't there anymore. No, sadly. But they were making so much television there and, mm. I, and I got a job on, I, I did, I just did whatever was going when I was a kid. There was so much opportunity it seems to me, in the Northwest at that time. And if there was anything going, I'd be doing it. There were the school plays. And then if I didn't get a part in the school play that I wanted, I'd go and do something with the youth theatre, with Oldham mm. Theatre Workshop, I'd do something with them. And if I didn't get a part in that, then I'd go and do something with dancing. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> and, and then I got an agent from something I did with youth theatre. And then... What age was that? 15, 14, wow. 15, and then started getting work from that at Granada mm. and did Coronation Street. And there was there was a show called Children's Ward that I got a little part in. And uh, so your drama school was, in fact, just doing it. Yeah, yeah. exactly that, yeah. Mm. And then by the time I did get a place at drama school when I'd, after my A-levels, then I got, at exactly the same time, I got a 12-month contract on Brookside. <laughs> and I had to choose between going to drama school mm-hmm. or doing Brookside. Yep. I thought, well, this is what I want to do when I leave drama school. What's the point yes. in going to drama school and missing that opportunity? And I think that most of what you learn as an actor, you learn not from a teacher. I mean, there are very important things that they can teach you at drama school, like breathing, for example. Oh, yeah. But you can also learn that from just watching people, from working with good actors. Mm. And you watch them and you'll learn from them. Yeah. And everything I've learned, I've learned from other actors. Yeah. I wouldn't advise anyone to not go, though. No, no. 
You need to do what's right for you, I think. Yeah. But that certainly looks like the right route that you took. It's just the way it happened, isn't it? I've just been incredibly lucky. It's all luck, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing you in a musical now that you've got the chance. I'd love that. I'd really love that. Yeah? It. Look, if Judy Dench can do it, <laughs> she can't sing at all. Oh, my God, yes, but she can act a song. Ah, but she can do what Gladys Knight can do. She yeah. can tell a story. Sending the Clowns is just the, yeah. the, the most amazing performance Ever, isn't it? That her, Absolutely. Her Judy Dench doing that. Well, I think you could do that. No, I'm really not comparing myself. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm allowed to. I'm, I'm the host of this. I can do it if I want to. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> anyway, I will put that in there. Woo, woo. We can be leaving on that midnight train to Georgia. Woo, woo. The greatest hits of Gladys Knight and the Pips. For my mum, for Lynn. For your mum. <laughs> Let's see what the second thing is that you want to put in the time capsule. Okay, so the second thing... Oh, I might just go and get it, actually. I've got... Uh, can, I, can I just go... Sorry. Okay. I, I meant to... I meant yeah, that's to all right. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get it because I've got to read from it. <laughs> okay, so this next thing is... Um, oh, I'll be out of breath now. I'm running up and down the stairs. <laughs> Take your time. Okay, so um, my dad... My my dad died in 2007. He was only 57. So he died very young. And um, when he died, he, he left me a, a letter. I don't know if he knew he was going to die. He, he had been quite unwell. Mm. And um, he left me the most amazing letter, which is so extraordinary that he wrote that, at, you know, such a young age. And he gave it to a family friend and said... When I die, would you give this to Nicola? And um, as I've already said, my mum and dad married when I was sort of eight. And mm. so he was my stepdad, but I always called him daddy. He brought me up. And um, this letter is, is beautiful and it's just all, you know, about what a privilege it was to, to be my dad and bring me up and oh, I'm gonna get totally emotional. But he had also, <laughs> with this letter, um, written a not as nice speech in preparation for being a father of the bride because at this point I was in my mid-30s and still hadn't met the person I was, was going to marry and settle down with oh, I was like a sort of eternal bachelorette um, <laughs> just like endlessly looking for Mr Right going from one disastrous relationship to another and really wanted to kind of have children and meet meet my one and it just wasn't happening for me and bless me dad <laughs> Jesus, if she doesn't hurry up with it, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna get to be the father of the bride. So I'm gonna write I'm gonna write this speech anyway, and maybe it will put it out there into the universe and she'll meet him, sort of thing. Yeah. And I've got it. Uh, and it's the most special thing because it's a bit of him and it's in his handwriting, which is really weird, isn't it? That somebody's handwriting mm. is is you remember that person so well from their from their handwriting. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it, he died um, literally the year before I had Esme, my eldest daughter. So I mean, literally just a few months before I got pregnant with her. Uh -huh. So he never met her or my husband Paul. He never met Paul, and he never met obviously my second daughter Iris. Mm -hmm. So none of them know him and now they're everything to me. And we have him, Mike, my dad, is in the kitchen with us. He, he hangs in the wall in our kitchen where everything everything happens in the kitchen, doesn't it, in a family. And so we have dinner with him every night and we talk about him constantly. 
and the kids talk about him like they knew him, but mm. they never knew him and he never knew them. And it's really sad. It makes me really sad. But I've got, so when, when I did finally get married to Paul, my uncle Paul, who's also Paul Stevenson, was the father of the, but he gave me away because he was my dad's brother. And he read the speech out. Oh, uh, how brilliant. And it's just, it's my dad's sense of humour. My dad was, he was a police officer and he was very, very dry, very sarcastic. Mm. And he basically just slags me off all the way through this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but it starts off, I'll read a little bit of it. Please do. It starts off, it says, because I think he presumed, my mum lived in California at the time, and I think he presumed that I was going to get married there and mm-hmm. everybody would have to go there. I don't know why. But anyway, it starts off. I'm not sure why we had to travel. I'll do it in his voice. Yeah. I'm not sure why we had to travel all this way. I'd reserved the upstairs room of the grime and sediment pub in Oldham. <laughs> my local vicar, Ambrose Clutterbucket, had ordered new dentures in honour of doing the service. <laughs> my celebrity daughter. <laughs> Oh, how brilliant. That's how it starts. And then he basically just slags me off about how many boyfriends I've had (laughs) and how much money I cost him growing up. (laughs) (laughs) And it goes on and on, and he just tells loads of really, really bad jokes. And then it says, she is not, nor has ever been, cheap to run. (laughs) (laughs) Just a brief description of Nicola. My uncle Paul did read this out at the wedding. Difficult, complex. Challenging, endearing, stubborn, contentious, confrontational, loving, genuine, stubborn. Did I already mention stubborn? (laughs) Wonderful, awesome, argumentative, and a pain in the glutamus maximus. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, blank. You'd leave the name blank. Best of luck controlling that package, pal. By the way, just a quickie. For God's sake, man, you need to check her car for water and oil for the rest of your life, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my you... word. He so wanted to make that speech, didn't he? He really did, didn't he? Mm. And that was like, you know, now when whenever Paul does something particularly, like when he has to mend my computer and things like that, he'll say, checking your car for oil and water. Because you don't need to check cars for oil and water now, do you? <laughs> no, not really, no. You don't really do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely, though. (laughs) But then at the end, after he's made all the awful jokes about me, he says, um, he said, Nicola is the only daughter to myself and Lynn. There is not a day goes by without me thanking God and whoever else has had a hand in it that I have had Nicola in my life. Uh, And that was was as far as he got with it. That's far enough, I think. That's that's beautiful. That's, That's my prized possession. I bet. Yeah. That I will keep forever because um yeah. Just, <laughs> it's really funny that he was he was so desperate for it to happen uh, that he wrote the speech anyway and just put it out into the universe. <laughs> and I, I was all those things, I think, until I got married. And then I think I calmed I had children and met Paul. Mm. And I think I stopped being so stubborn and argumentative and all those things. I think I've mellowed massively. <laughs> massively. <laughs> oh, he'd love to see that, though, I'm sure. I know. It's, I know, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? I, you know, I, I know that's why we all... That's why we all have this thing of, you know, people go on, people live on. And I, I wish I believed it. I really do, because I think it would be an enormous comfort, the idea of people looking down on you yeah. or seeing your progression or seeing how things went. And also, as you say, looking and getting to know 
their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren yeah. that they didn't get the chance to know. Absolutely. But I think that you get to do what you can in life, and that's a brilliant thing that he's done there. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, yeah, he definitely left a legacy. He was the, he was the best dad that my mum could have possibly picked. Yeah. <laughs> he really was, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Nicola, that, thank you for that. That's lovely. So that's the second item. Yeah. Your dad's lovely my letter. My dad's letter, yeah. Aww. Right, hello, sorry to interrupt, but as with all podcasts, we're going to take a short break for some adverts. We'll be back before you get the chance to buy anything, hopefully. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back. Hope you haven't spent too much. Anyway, before you max out the credit card, let's return to Nicola Stevenson and discover what else from her life she would choose to put in her time capsule. Okay, so my third item yeah. is um, is my husband's Father Christmas outfit. <laughs> Everybody's got one, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. Actually, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you would. I knew you would. <laughs> Obviously. But his is um, particularly splendid. It's one of the finest quality. It's very mm. good <laughs> because he has been Father Christmas at the school fair every year uh. at our daughter's school. Mm. He had to stop actually, last year, because they've now both gone to secondary school. So they don't have a Father Christmas at the secondary school, obviously. And you can't carry on being Father Christmas at a primary school that your children no longer go to. Uh, (laughs) Not really appropriate, is it? Well, I don't know if you've been doing it (laughs) traditionally. Oh, no, but they've done a brilliant thing, though. The new Father Christmas is a mum. He's one of the (laughs) mums. Yeah. It's very modern in North London. They've now got a woman playing Father Christmas. As a man, she's not being like Mrs. Santa Claus. No. She's being Father Christmas. Mm-hmm. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. yeah, she's brilliant. But Paul was brilliant at it. And I think the reason that Father Christmas is in there, or his Father Christmas outfit, is because I am pretty obsessed with Christmas. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love it. I mean, most people do. You'd be hard pushed to find someone who hates Christmas, wouldn't you? Yeah. But... I really am very particular about it and it's my Christmas because I think Christmas was rubbish for quite a few years. It was good when I was a kid and then my mum sort of left. My mum and dad split up. My mum left to go and live in America 
So I have no brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. My dad was quite unwell for a few years. So I, and I was single. Well, first of all, I had a boyfriend for ages who didn't really want to do Christmas with me. He went off and did Christmas with his family. And so I was always sort of a bit on my own and a bit kind of wandering about and melancholic and just miserable at Christmas for years, for years and years. Yeah, particularly if you think Christmas should be something special. Yeah, and I really wanted kids and... So when I married Paul and had two little girls, it was like, right, <laughs> I am now the matriarch. Christmas is mine. <laughs> I'm, it is my Christmas and I will have it in my house and it will be how I like it. And me and Paul together, we've got, uh, you know, I, I let him have a bit of a say. Um, but, <laughs> but it is, it's, it's all at my house. And if anyone wants to come, they can come, but I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and I just love it. And now the kids are, I think Iris, my youngest, played along this year. She's 11. Mm. I mean, even the big one who's 14 hasn't told me that she doesn't believe in Father Christmas anymore. No. I'd, I almost said to her a couple of years ago, started to have a conversation with her and she just went, Shh, mummy, shush, I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. Very good. <laughs> Very good. All right, okay. And they're right. And of course, if you keep that going... That can go on forever. There's no reason why we shouldn't remain children at Christmas. Exactly. Mm. So we still do all the tradition. And the littlest one, I mean, the littlest one was visited by the tooth fairy last night. She's still (laughs) going along with it all. But I think it's so important to teach children to believe in magic, to to believe in the lie of the tooth fairy and Father Christmas and the Easter bunny and all that. And I've worked out why it is, why it is we do this to children. And it's because I think the only thing that really matters in life is love, is to be loved and to love and to have love in your life. And really love is properly magic. It's it's truly, truly magic. Mm. It can make you do insane things. Not not in a Will Smith way. <laughs> <laughs> that's not love, that's ego. No, no that's not love. Not no. punch people in the face. No. No. But in you know, it can make you able to get up in the middle of the night, night after night after night, and feed a crying baby and have no mm. sleep and then get up the next day and look after them all. You know, and it can make you do all kinds of things. And it's truly, truly magical and I think that where we start to learn like build those synapses and start to learn that that is possible Mm -hmm. is by believing in magic as children right that's what I think yeah no I know people who think the opposite think you shouldn't lie to children you should tell them I know this is me I bring these presents right from an early age and I, I, I can see what they're saying but I disagree with it yeah I think that that gradual that transition you're talking about from them absolutely believing it yeah to having a suspicion that it's not completely true mm. and then actually going, do you know what, it's not true, but mm. it's really nice. Yeah. And then actually if they realise, they can take that really niceness and bring it into their life and go, well, you can do this as well. Exactly. You can play this game. So you say to them, well, yeah, you know, the magic of Christmas isn't that you get loads of presents and that, okay, it's not a man who comes down the chimney. Oh, my God, this this podcast should go with a warning, shouldn't it? Yeah, I, I will do, definitely. No children are allowed to listen to this. No. Okay, it might not be a man that comes down the chimney. This is only a matter of opinion. A matter of opinion. Yes. Some children believe that. Mm-hmm. But what is magic is all the love that is everywhere at Christmas and the fact that we stop everything and just love each other 
and family comes and we all make food together and we all give each other presents and we all just love each other. And all that love, all that being family and all being around is magic. And that is when true proper sparks fly. Mm. So that is magic and you'll have that all your life. So it's not saying goodbye to magic. It's actually saying hello to real magic. Yes. Isn't it? A sort of a gentle introduction to the joy of loving each other. Yeah. Absolutely. And I hope next Christmas you finally give Paul permission to wear the Father Christmas costume all day long. <laughs> I, I insist on it. Oh, it's bless just... him. He's going to really miss it. He got to wear it for one more year this year because I'm, I'm really good friends with Amanda Holden and she does um, the Heart Breakfast Show. Oh, lovely, yeah. She is mental about Christmas. She, she's worse than me. Worse than me. <laughs> and she rang him up and she said, would you come and be Father Christmas on Heart Breakfast? Because they film a, a lot of it. It's not just on the radio. Yeah, yeah. You know, they do bits on social media and all that kind of thing. So he got to go and be Father Christmas for oh, a week. He was brilliant. So, he was really pleased. He's a really good Santa. He grows his own beard and everything. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you do, because you've seen him. We've seen you at Christmas, yeah. haven't we? <laughs> well, I hope she makes that a tradition. That's very good. <laughs> lovely Amanda. She did, a long time ago, she did a really lovely thing for me. I, I don't think I've seen her since. So if you see her, tell her how much I still appreciate this. We did a show together with Harry Enfield. And while we were there, I said, would you mind me videoing you? I want you to say, oh, yeah, this is great. I love these people are geniuses. This is going to be enormous. Just something like that. Just go over the top about how fantastic. She said, what's it for? I said, it's for my daughter's play. She's at university and she's doing a play and they need you as a celebrity to endorse this thing. And she said, it won't be used for anything else, will it, Mike? And I said, no. And she trusted me completely. And she did this brilliant video thing, which I gave to my daughters. And, of course, it had an amazing effect when it came on in the middle of this play. Oh, wow. How the hell did that happen? And I've always been grateful for it. I think it's a really sweet thing to do. Yeah. Brilliant. She's ace. She's, She's a brilliant, brilliant woman. I love her. Yeah. Lovely. Oh, okay, so Paul's Father Christmas costume. Yeah, that's going in there, definitely. Yeah. It's got such brilliant memories. I remember us that the first time he was Father Christmas, Esme would have been about five or six. And we said to her, now look, Daddy has had a phone call from Father Christmas and he's going to help because he can't be at all the Christmas fairs in all the schools. Mm. So daddy's going to be Father Christmas at the school Christmas fair and be a helper to Santa. And she was so excited. And we <sighs> said, but you're not to tell any of the other boys and girls. You can't tell any of the other children because it'll spoil the magic. So it's a secret. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I won't tell her. And she literally walked through the doors into the school Christmas fair and went, my dad's Santa. <laughs> <laughs> like a like a scene from Elf. She was just running down the corridor going, My dad's Santa! My dad's Santa! <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> That's your fault for not telling it to sit down and shut up. <laughs> no, never. 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 <laughs> Oh, brilliant. What a memory. I did it once. I did it just once, being Father Christmas at the thing, and I just went completely over the top. I had (laughs) makeup. I had false noses. I had everything. The beard was all stuck on professionally. I thought, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, because all the the ladies at Screen Face, when Paul went into Screen Face in Covent Garden to buy the makeup, and they, oh, they were all over him. They were like, (laughs) oh! 
and sit down. Okay, well, you need this for the red nose. You need this, and you need this this special brush to stipple it on. Yes. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fantastic. All right, great. Well, let's move on to your fourth item, mm. see what that is, Nicola. Oh, yeah. So, okay, what have we done? Okay, so it's this. I'm going to show it you. Just got it off the wall. It's this. Mm-hmm. It's all dust on it. <laughs> Just got it off the wall. Um, it's a piece of wood in a frame. Right. Which looks like nothing much. But that is a piece of the dance floor of the Hacienda nightclub in Manchester, which oh, isn't there anymore. No. It's flats now. But the Hacienda was um, a large part of my younger days mm. where I used to go dancing Friday and Saturday night. I think probably the majority of your listeners won't have ever, ever heard of it, but it's really famous in Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> it was owned by Factory Records and it's sort of a bit of M Manchester music history and there was a big sort of Manchester music scene at that time. Mm. And I was sort of there in the thick of it. But I suppose why that is in the time capsule isn't just about that nightclub. It's first of all that it's my love of dancing. Um, generally, I just lose myself when I'm dancing. <laughs> Not a brilliant dancer, but I, I danced when I was a kid, and um, and I miss it. I miss it so much. Actually, dancing in shows and stuff, I really, really miss. Mm -hmm. And I miss dancing in nightclubs because um, I'm fifty, and you just, I, I know I could still go. But I don't, I've just got no one to go with. I don't have time. I don't want to be tired in the morning. Got, you know, I've got kids and stuff. And so I don't go dancing and I really, really miss it because, like I say, I lose myself and it just feels amazing to me. It really just makes me feel fantastic and I can dance for, for hours. I got to dance a little bit in a show that I did with Amanda a couple of years ago called um, Stepping Out. Mm. It's about a group of tap dancers who go to a weekly tap dancing class and at the end they're crap, but they do, they manage to get this one number that they can do at the end of the show and so there's like one tap number. Well, that that was me in my West End yeah. fantasy. That, that was a chorus line. I was in the chorus line, yeah. yeah I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> in my head. But I actually looked like a crap 50-year-old tap dancer. But um <laughs> But but that was so, so much fun to tap dance on a West End stage every night, even though I was meant to be rubbish. Um, <laughs> so it's about dancing because that is one of my passions that I really, really miss. And I need to work out a way of, of still doing it. You've got to make sure you get invited to all the weddings of all your friends' children. Oh, I mean, that is where I come into my own, mm -hmm. is at a wedding. That's the only time you get to do it now, yeah. is at a wedding, isn't it? Yes. Well, with me, sadly, it's always at a funeral. Oh, God. I've been through the weddings. I'm hitting the funeral point where we all go, we're going to be dead soon, we better dance. <laughs> dance before you're dead. That's going to be the title of my autobiography. <laughs> I think I should start a nightclub called that, Dance Before You're Dead. <laughs> Oh, my God, I would go. Yeah. I would definitely go every week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've, sort of, I've sort of found a thing that comes close, which is yoga. Oh, right. Uh, about 20 years ago, I started doing yoga, and it was – I hate running. <laughs> I hate it with a passion. In fact, the, my trainers really nearly went into the ground. But um, – <laughs> 
I started doing yoga about 20 years ago and it felt, it was the first form of exercise I'd ever done that just felt right. It felt like I am supposed to be doing this. My body is supposed to be moving like this. Mm. And I think it's because it gives me that same out of your head kind of meditative experience that dancing gives you. It's funny, isn't it, yoga? Because it always looks as if it's not hard work. But in fact, it's incredibly good exercise, isn't it? It's really good exercise. I mean, it's good for every bit of you, for your head, for your brain, mm-hmm. for your lungs and your breath. And it's that connection of mind and body is what it's all about. It's for everybody. And you can do 10 minutes of it or you can do an hour and a half of it. You've still done yoga and you've still got the brilliant benefits from it. Mm. Oh, it's so dull, isn't it? I could wang on about it all day. <laughs> no, about no, yoga, it's, all right, no. it's really dull unless you're into it. I am looking for forms of exercise that I can do. Oh. People have been saying to me for a long time, try it. I must do. Yeah, you must. I've gone off on a bit of a tangent. But anyway, <laughs> the dance floor is in there. When they um, took the building down, they sold off bits of the dance floor. So that's how come I've got that. And it's in there with my pass that I used to get in with my little membership card. And um, it's there because of the dancing, because of the music, but also because Manchester, growing up in Manchester, it was so full of the arts, music and theatre. And it just feels like... I don't get that for my kids in London as much. And I was reminded of it recently. I, I went to do a play for Hull Truck and I went up to Hull and um, was doing this play in Hull and we did lots of outreach with parts of the community where there was little, very little arts provision. We went out with the play and said, come and see the play and gave everyone cheap tickets and all that kind of thing. Mm. And it just, the way that that theatre is used, it really brought it all back to me of being in plays when I was a kid at the Oldham Coliseum and doing stuff in Manchester at Granada. And there was just always the theatre that was really used by the community. And it is in Hull. You go in there to rehearse in the morning for the play and there'll be a movement workshop for people with Parkinson's going on in the theatre bar, or <laughs> there'll be some kids rehearsing something over there. Also. And you go, oh, my God, this is so important to this community mm-hmm. in the towns where there isn't much arts provision. And in, and in Oldham in the 80s, they had an amazing youth theatre led by director David Johnson, who sadly died yesterday. Oh. Really, really sad, yeah. And he meant so much to so many kids I saw it. I don't really go on Facebook, but my husband saw it. And, I, and so I went on, I was reading all these comments yesterday of, of people who've grown up who are my age now and older or younger, who do different jobs that aren't in the acting profession. Yeah. But we're all saying, oh my goodness, I would not have been brave enough to do some of the things I've done in life were it not for him. Mm. And he really pushed all the kids and he, you had to be very professional as well. If you were late for rehearsals, you were fired. <laughs> <laughs> He was so funny. He stood at the front and he'd go, you girl, out, you're fired. That's how it would be in a professional theatre. Get out. I will only have professionalism. These little kids would be like, oh, my God, mum, I can't go back. I've been fired. And then he, of course, would let them back. Yeah. But he was, you know, energy, energy, energy. That's what I wanted. He was just gorgeous. I, I do bang on about this, I'm afraid. So if anybody on this has heard me talk about this before on this podcast, I apologise. Mm. I am the honorary president of a children's theatre group in Soham that was set up oh. by a fantastic man called Dan Schumann. And he is that sort of man. He's taken all of these kids from this small town and created this amazing group of children who do incredible performances to such an amazing standard. And yet everybody is welcome. Mm. There's no sort of, you're not good enough. Mm. Everybody's welcome. Everybody finds a part. If they want to perform, they perform. 
brilliant. It's brilliant. And in the last two years, they built their own theatre. He raised the money Amazing. and built their own community theatre. It's a 150-seater with a bar and a restaurant and rehearsal rooms and meeting rooms. And <gasps> the effect that that has on a community is absolutely astonishing. It's priceless. Yeah. It really is. And it was it was massive in Oldham. And I seem to remember the workshop was free. Yeah. I don't know if I've got, if I've remembered, but I've, I think it, I mean, I pay a bloody fortune for my kids' little singing and dancing and acting thing that they do on a Saturday morning. Mm. And it was it was free. And we did shows twice a year in a professional theatre in the Oldham Coliseum. It was just brilliant. And and I got an agent from those shows. Great. And then our school did such amazing stuff as well. And it just seemed like in Manchester and on the Northwest at that time, there was just such rich interest in the arts and theatre. And so many people from my school have gone on to have jobs in the profession. But as you say, it's not just about people going on to do that. It's affecting people's lives for the rest of their life. It affects everything. Yeah, yeah. my kids don't want to be actors, no. but they do it and they love it. And it'll. I just feel like it will give them the confidence to stand up and whatever job that you have to stand up and do things and perform in loads of different jobs, don't you? Well, even if the only thing you ever do is stand up and make a speech at your daughter's wedding. Exactly. Mm. It just informs everything in life, doesn't it? Yeah. So the, the music scene in Manchester, the theatre scene, the opportunities, Granada Television, yeah. I, it was just that whole time was so rich in everything that I loved and wanted to do. I was so fortunate. And they still sort of cling to that, don't they? The whole Andy Burnham and all that sort of thing. Yeah. It seems to be that part of the world still says, no, we're not going to take part in your, we're going to strip everything away. And if people want it, they have to pay for it. Yeah. No, we still think that it's useful for there to be community. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a, there is a real spirit of of performing and telling stories and living life to the full, it seems to me. Mm. In Manchester, every time I go up there to work a lot, believe it or not. <laughs> and, You're very good at the accent. That's all I can say. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> and um, yeah, every time I go up, you just it's just a different atmosphere up there. Just going into a pub or into a restaurant, the music and the just the people and the, the everyone's having such a good time <laughs> all the time. Chatting to people on buses, yeah. the stories to be told as you get right down to it with Northerners, you know, yeah. you just sit and have a conversation with someone on a bus, you know their life story, yeah. you know. <laughs> yes, I love going into pubs in the North. Yeah. Almost without a doubt, they say, what the bloody are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So for my love of Manchester and its people, the, the Hacienda dance floor is in there. Fantastic. Beautiful thing to put in. That's number four. Right, so we've got one final thing to put in, the thing you want to get rid of. Oh, what do I want to get rid of? Okay, yeah. Well, we, this is really difficult because of the rule, you know, the brief, mm. which was it has to go into a time capsule. Yeah. So I've sort of got to put my trainers in there because I hate running so much, but that's really quite boring and I've already talked about yoga and how much I love yoga. So I'm going to have to go off brief. Oh, my word. I don't, I don't like doing it. <laughs> no. I really don't. <laughs> but... um. I'm going to put Northern France in there. <laughs> I'm really sorry, because I know you've just come back from France and I you know, love it, don't I you? I do, yeah. Yeah, I know. You've been in Wisson, haven't you? Yeah. 
It's lovely. Oh, God. Jesus. You hate it, do you? I don't like it. I just don't <laughs> like France. I've just never had a good time there. And my husband keeps trying to make me go. And I don't know what it is. I think I've just got it into my head now. But, well, I do know what it is. I've just never had a good time there. And I find it really, really depressing. I just find the whole place really depressing. I think it's the history of it. It's the light. Don't you think it's got a weird light? <laughs> Northern France. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, don't, I love the French people. Yeah. I love French food. This is, this is not in any way xenophobic of me. But I just have never had a good time there. And It can be quite flat, can't it? It's quite flat. It's quite flat. It's just quite depressing. I find it really depressing. And we went on holiday there once when we really shouldn't have gone holiday on holiday there. It's become known as the holiday that shall never speak its name <laughs> in our house because it was just the wrong thing to do at the wrong time it was when Paul and I had very small babies Iris was about three months old and Esme was two nearly three Mm. and all our friends had slightly older kids everyone was hiring this cottage for new year and all going away together with their children Mm -hmm. all our lovely friends my best friends Angela and Lisa and everyone was going away with the kids and me and Paul were like I'm not we can't say it. We can't not go. We had real FOMO. This was before FOMO was was a thing. <laughs> but we had FOMO. And we went, yeah, yeah, we'll come. Yeah, we'll come. And we went and it was a disaster because we had a little baby that I was still breastfeeding and everybody else was drinking wine and staying up late and having parties and the kids would just get thrown in bed whenever. And my kids wouldn't do that. And and Paul, bless him, was a bit kind of like, why can't we stay up and and watch this film that everyone's watching, Nicola? And I was like, because I have to go to bed and I'm going to be up at one time and breastfeed. And we had had all these huge rows because we were just at the end of our tether of tiredness. And I remember one one day in particular we were in our little hood in our little room in the chalet or whatever and Paul was in the shower with the car seat showering sick off the car seat because I <laughs> eldest had been car sick again yeah. as she was on every single journey of the whole holiday so we'd always be you know 10 minutes behind everybody else because Esme would have been sick in the back of the car and everybody else is having a lovely time in that pub down there and the wine taster oh god it's coming back to me I can't help it's all coming back to me so real and I was standing there going fine fine if you want to stay up late and watch videos with them then you can do that drink wine you can go and buy some bottles from the chemist because I'm not doing it anymore I'm just not doing it anymore and I've got so hysterical that Paul just stopped showering the car seat and just held the shower up at me and showered me (laughs) (laughs) with cold water. (laughs) And and now, slightly unfairly, you blame all this on Northern France. I do. It's it's the holiday that she'll never speak its name. And I also remember once my dad took us, he lied to us and said we were going to have a really lovely holiday. And we went to Northern France and it was a it was a coach trip around the battlefields of the Somme and we had to sit on a coach We had to sit because he was really into all that. And then we had to sit on a coach and listen to tapes of old people talking about the war <laughs> for hours and hours on end. It was torture. And I went on a school trip there when I was 10 and got really, really horribly homesick as well. So I've just got awful, awful memories of Northern France and I will never go there on holiday ever again. I'm sorry. No, I think it's fair enough. I think it's fair enough. You know, you've been traumatised, clearly. It really 
traumatised. I mean, you know, some people went through the trenches of the Somme, you know. You... I had that holiday. You had that holiday. <laughs> and I think they're thinking, God, we had it easy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You've not been showered by your husband. <laughs> Holding a baby's seat with sick all over it. With Lovely. sick all over it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's a lesson. It's a lesson. It's always a life lesson. Yeah. And a lesson is... Keep it simple. If there's anybody listening to this podcast that's about to have their second child, my advice is keep it simple, whatever it is. Do not bite off more than you can chew ever. And we haven't done ever since. No. We, we like we like to kind of keep things simple and enjoy these mellow, fruitful years in, in as calm a way as possible. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Nicola, I'm going to put that damn country into the time capsule. If we're going to stay on brief, mm. why don't we put the car seat in there, the sicky car seat? That's very good. Very good. All right. <laughs> a slightly damp car seat with a remainder of the sick on it. <laughs> that will go into there as a constant reminder of the follies of going to northern France. Oh, you'll smell a bit when you open up the time capsule. You'll get a whiff. Well, the smell will immediately <laughs> warn you. If you've forgotten, you'll think, oh, my God, I nearly went to France. That smells like France. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, just for you, then, that car seat goes into the time capsule. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you, Michael. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Nicola Stevenson. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, then please, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and maybe even review this podcast. I mean, you don't have to write a novel, just a few kind words to hopefully attract new listeners to our podcast. We'll be eternally grateful. And you can follow me and my time capsule on social media. Well, in our case, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Look for at MyTCPod or at Fenton Stevens. And do say hello and let us know your favourite episodes and any suggestions for future guests. Thanks. The theme tune by Pass the Peas Music, I love that name, is available on Spotify. So if you want to hear it without my voice spoiling it, that's where you need to go. This was a cast-off production, a company that's always open to hearing your podcast ideas and maybe even helping you to realise them. It was produced for Acast Podcasts by John Fenton Stevens. Right, I'm going to buy a new ladder for my car. I should have paid more attention. You see, the bloke who sold it to me said it was a hire car, and that's why it was cheap. And it certainly was a hire car. A lot higher. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.